are continuing on in the book of Acts. And last time we left Paul stuck in prison. Two years in Caesarea. And Felix would call him up every once in a while and he'd hear from, from uh, Paul and I don't think Paul, I don't think Felix was ever convinced of the gospel, even though he heard frequently from Paul. And, and last week we saw that, that as Paul preached the gospel, that Felix was frightened because Paul preached of, of one of the things that he preached was judgment to come. And that is something that we all need to be aware of, that there's one day every one of us, whether we're saved or unsaved, will stand before God and give an answer. Do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? Revelation tells us he will look and see if your name is written in the book of life. And if it's not, he will send you to hell. No, not he won't send you to hell. You've already done that yourself. And if you, if you have, we have the glory of living forever and ever in heaven. And he presented that to Felix, but Felix kept him in prison. But Paul knew something. Paul knew something that kept his spirits up, that kept his drive going. Paul knew that he was going to go to Rome. It had been promised to him several times. When Paul got saved on the road to Damascus, God sent a man by the name of Ananias to him. And this is what God told Ananias. But the Lord said to him, go for he is my chosen instrument of mine, talking about Paul, to bear my name before Gentiles, which he did, and kings and the sons of Israel. He has yet to address a king. He will in these two chapters. But he had another promise. He said, you're going to go to Rome. In Acts chapter 19, as Paul was getting ready to head to Jerusalem, he's in Macedonia, he says this, now after these things were finished, Paul proposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Acacia, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So the Spirit, in directing his path, said, yes, you can go, Paul, you can go to Jerusalem because that's part of the plan, but you will see Rome. And then after he had been captured, or, or been arrested in the, Senate, in the uh, temple area and gone to the, been uh, taken out by the Romans, had his say before the council. It says this in chapter 23, but on the night immediately following, Paul stood, or the Lord stood at Paul's side and said, Take courage. For as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. Two years pass. 
You think he was getting a little antsy? God told me I was going to Rome. I get to preach before in Rome. I want to go there. But I'm sitting here in prison. Now that could make a few people depressed, but Paul had God's promise that you're going to preach before. So nothing's going to happen to you before you have the opportunity to preach in Rome. And so we come to chapter 25, and uh, we're going to read about what happened when the new governor comes to town. So let's turn to chapter 25, verses 1 through 12. Festus then, well, let's go back to 27, uh, 24, verse 27. We'll find out who these, this new guy is. But after two years had passed, Felix succeeded by Porcius Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor. Felix left Paul in prison. Festus then, having arrived in the province, three days later went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the leading men of the Jews brought charges against Paul and were urging him, requesting a concession against Paul that he might have him brought to Jerusalem at that same time, setting an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus then answered that Paul was being kept in custody in Caesarea and that he himself was about to leave shortly. Therefore, he said, let the influential men among you go there with me. And if there is anything wrong about the man, let, him, let them prosecute him. And after they spent not more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea and on the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. And after Paul arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him, which they could not prove. While Paul said in his own defense, I have committed no offense either against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and strand trial before me on these charges? But Paul says, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews as you also very well know. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. But if none of these things is true of which these men accuse me, no one can hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus had conferred with his counsel and answered, You've appealed to Caesar and to Caesar you shall go. Wow, what a turn of events. Well, there's an interesting phrase that's used up in verse 27, chapter 24, verse 27, of Felix, and then is also used of Festus. And it says, wishing to do the Jews a favor. 
Now, these are two very different men. They have two very different motivations. Last week, we learned what happened to Felix. Felix was a cruel, corrupt man. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons he kept Paul in, in prison in Caesarea is he was hoping that Paul could get enough money together to bribe him. And Paul said, no way. It's not what I do. I am not guilty. I will stand. And even if it means my own death, I will defend myself because I have God on my side. He's told me I'm going to Rome. Now, I don't know whether, whether Paul's reasoning for appealing to Caesar was, hey, let's get to Rome. <laughs> Might have been. But Felix kept Paul in prison. Why? To do a favor to the Jews. Why was that? Felix had been recalled to Rome. The Jews had gone from Jerusalem. They sailed all the way to Rome. They stood before Nero and they filed a complaint and said, Felix is corrupt. He's cruel. And they had all the facts to back him up. Josephus writes about all the cruel things he did. He would, anytime somebody would, would try to uprise against the Romans, he would just crush it. And he didn't matter the body count. And so he has been recalled. He is going to be found guilty, and he should have died. One of the things that the reason that Felix kept Paul there as a favor is he wanted them to get to Rome and say, oh, you know, well, Felix isn't quite as bad as we portrayed. You know, he, he's left Paul there thinking that they're going to have another opportunity. Remember last week we talked to four different times they tried to kill Paul one way or another, whether, whether legally or illegally. They wanted to have another chance to kill Paul. Well, Festus has a much different reason. Festus, uh, we know very little about Festus from history. The Bible doesn't tell us much at all. But even Josephus in his writings uh, just tells us that Festus was better than Felix, which didn't take a whole lot. And he was actually better than the guy who came after him. He only... He only ruled for two years in, in uh, Judea. But Festus was a matter-of-fact guy. He came from Rome specifically to try to smooth things over because of what Felix had done. And you'll notice in our reading today, Felix does not let the grass grow under his feet, does he? He gets to Caesarea, which is, his, which is his palace where he rules from. And immediately he wants to go where? He wants to go to Jerusalem. Three days go by. He goes to Jerusalem just to see what's going on. Jerusalem is the center of everything. And folks, Jerusalem is the center of everything today. Watch Jerusalem. Don't, don't be looking at the USA and say, oh, what's going on in the United States? Watch Jerusalem. And here's specifically, watch who the peacemaker is. Who is going to come to Israel to propose peace? Just watch that. But even in those days, 
Festus knew Jerusalem is where it's all going on. And of course, the Jewish leaders still had heartburn over Paul. Paul had not been in Jerusalem in two years to bother him. Why should they care? Because you ever, you ever notice what happens when unforgiveness gets a hold of you? They couldn't forgive Paul because he had been a Pharisee and became a preacher of Jesus. He had been one of them and became one of those. The way. They didn't like it. And they couldn't let it go. And so two years later, when Festus comes, they're still plotting. If we can just get Paul, it's two days ride or two days walk from Caesarea to Jerusalem. You got to spend the night halfway. If we can just get Festus to bring Paul along, we've got the assassins here. We will take him out along the way. That's how much they hated Paul. Festus didn't have this background. A matter of fact, Festus didn't know a whole lot about the Jews. He didn't know a whole lot about the Christians. Festus was just a Roman bureaucrat that, that had come, and he was apparently very good at his job. And so he's like going, okay, maybe, maybe if I, if, if I can find some charges on Paul, we can get this thing rolling. He comes back, doesn't he waits, what, eight to ten days, goes back, the Jews come, they can't prove anything. They still don't have any witnesses with them. Nobody can say this is what Paul did. So Festus is like, oh, Paul, hey, come on. Save me some trouble. How about if I hear your case back in Jerusalem? But what does Paul know? Paul knows what their, what their plan is. If I go back to Jerusalem, they're going to try to kill me. But Paul also knows what? His job in Jerusalem is done. God told him where he was headed. Paul, you're going to preach in Rome. Paul doesn't want to go backwards. He wants to go forwards. And so what does he do? He appeals to Caesar. This was every Roman's right. You could bypass. We, we have this. We have a tiered system here in the United States, right? We start in the state, we, we go to the state appeals court, the state supreme court. If that doesn't work, where do we go? We go to the federal system, we go to the Ninth Circuit Court, we appeal there, then we can, we can go all the way up to the Supreme Court, but we have this tiered system that takes years and years and years to get through. The Romans could bypass all of that. The Romans could say, I want to appeal to Caesar. Okay. And this is not the first time Paul has, has brought his Roman citizenship out. In Acts chapter 16, when the Philippian jailer was there, remember they had falsely arrested Paul. They had beat him. They had put him in jail. And then we have the, the, we have the big jailbreak that never happened. God opened up the prisons and nobody left. Isn't that amazing how God works? And, and the next morning, the jailer comes and says, well, they just said, go on. And Paul said, no, no, no. They put me, I'm a Roman. They put me in here 
against the Roman law, they can come and bring me out. And it says that it scared them because they did not know he was Roman. And then before Lysus, the, the commander, when he got ready to beat a confession out of Paul with the scourge, it says they were, they were laying him out to be scourged. Paul says, you're going to do this to a Roman? He says, I'm not just a... And Lysus says, well, I bought my Roman citizenship. Paul said, I was born a Roman. I'm a natural Roman citizen. So Paul was not above using that when he needed to use Roman law. And, I, and, and he says, I appeal to Caesar. Where's Caesar at? He's in Rome. I'll get to Rome one way or another. So he appeal, appeals to Caesar. But he's still going to have one more opportunity to talk to a king. He hasn't talked to a king yet. So far we've been talking to governors. And so in verses 13 and 14 we read this. Now when several days had elapsed, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and paid their respects to Festus. And while they were spending many days there, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there is a man who is left as a prisoner by Felix. We're just going to stop there because I want you to understand who these folks are. The Herods. So this is... This is where family history, we need to remember the past so we don't repeat it, right? Herod the Great, anybody remember who Herod the Great was? Remember when the wise men came and said, there's a, there's a king that's been born uh, and we want, to, we want to go worship him. And he didn't know and the scribes came and said, oh, uh, the Bible says that he's going to be born in Bethlehem and he sends them away. And he says, what? Come back and tell me so I can worship him. But what was his plan? He was going to kill him. And when, when they didn't come back, it says the Holy Spirit sent them out the other way. When they didn't come back, what did Herod do? He went, he sent his soldiers to Bethlehem and killed every baby boy from two years and under. That's Herod the Great, great-grandpa. He has four sons, one of which is Herod Antipas. He, before Herod the Great dies, he divides up his kingdom, and Herod Antipas comes along. Now, Herod Antipas, uh, he's got a wandering eye, especially for his brother's sister, or brother's wife, Philip's wife, and so he, he steals his brother's wife, gets called out by none other than John the Baptist. He, John the Baptist was, was a good guy to call people out, right? And he called him out, and, and so he threw John the Baptist into prison. And one night in a, in a drunken feast, he says to uh, his Herodias, his wife, uh, is, or he says to his wife's daughter, who's dancing before him, he's just so enthralled with his with this daughter that's dancing there, 
It's actually a stepdaughter. And he says, I'll give you anything up to half of the kingdom. She goes back to Mama and says, Mama, what do you want? Mama hates John the Baptist because he called them out for their sin and says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so Herod Antipas, off with your head. So Herod Antipas has Herod Agrippa the first. And not only does he have Herod Agrippa the first, but he also has two daughters, Bernice and Drusella. Now, Drusella we met last week. She becomes the wife of Felix, remember, who Felix had stole her away from, from her husband. Well, the other sister is Bernice. Bernice marries and her husband dies. So Bernice decides to move in with her brother. Well, you say, well, that's not a bad thing, right? Well, Josephus tells us that not only did she live with him, but it was an incestuous relationship. He took her as his wife, his own sister. Now, Bernice in and of herself is quite the lady, so to speak, because not only does she live in this incestuous relationship, she will later leave and have an affair with a Roman general by the name of Titus. Anybody know what, the, who, what Titus did in 70 AD? Randy's nodding his head. What did he do, Chuck? He destroyed Jerusalem. In a very bloody takeover, Titus destroys Jerusalem as a Roman general. And Bernice leaves her brother and hooks up with him. And she follows him all the way to where? Rome, where he becomes the emperor. That's who Paul is speaking before. Now, the, and I want you to see that because when you understand that we have the obligation to witness to people who have terrible backgrounds. God doesn't say, oh, just go preach to all the, all the nice people. Go share your testimony with the good guys. You know, it's amazing to me how many times I've seen people that, uh, anybody read the, the cross and the switchblade? Written by Ron Wilkinson many, many years ago, where he went into the gangs and he started a little thing called Teen Challenge. We still have it today right out here in Shed. Where did it start? By witnessing to the gangs and he would see the gang leaders come to Jesus. Nobody, nobody should not hear the gospel just because of how ugly they are or what they've done. And as we see this, uh, we're going to find out what now is the provocation for, for, uh, for Festus to leave him there. So turn with me to 25 and let's just read a few verses. Um, 
So the, so the next day, verse 23 to 27, so the next day when Agrippa came together with Bernice amid great pomp. Now I want you to, we kind of have a picture. They're all in the royal robes. They're all sitting there in their thrones wanting the world to see. They gather a great entourage there in the auditorium. Agrippa came together with Bernice and with great pomp, amid great pomp and entered the auditorium accompanied by the commanders and the prominent men of the city at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in and Festus says to Agrippa, now this is his reasoning to bring him before Agrippa. King Agrippa and all you gentlemen here present with us, you see this man before whom all the people of the Jews appeal to me both in Jerusalem and here, loudly declaring that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death. And since he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. Yet I have nothing definite about him to write to my Lord. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the investigation has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems absurd to me in sending a prisoner not to indicate also the charges against him. If you've done nothing wrong... The world will make something up. That's where they're at. But this is nothing new. You can go all the way back to the book of Genesis and you find a young man by the name of Joseph. Joseph is by all means an honorable man. He got sold out by his brothers. He becomes Potiphar's slave. He's, he's exalted to the head steward and yet his wife Potiphar's wife desires him and she's going to do everything to get him to sleep with her and one day when he runs away and leaves his coat behind he's he's getting away that fast what happens he tried to rape me look his coat's still right here he goes to prison he had done nothing wrong. And yet, she made something up. We can watch it happen through all the different, uh, all the different prophets through the years. Jeremiah especially. Jeremiah, all she did was say, this is what God said. Don't trust the Egyptians. Surrender to to the Babylonians. Nobody wanted to listen to him, so, oh, throw him down in the pit. Let him starve to death. We don't care. And then, of course, we have Stephen in chapter 6 of, of Acts. And it says, and they brought false witnesses. They even paid people to come in and lie about Stephen so they could stone him. 
And of course, let us not forget one other man. Jesus. Seven trials he goes through. And at the end of the seventh trial, what does Pilate say about Jesus? I find no fault in this man. I am washing my hands of this. You take him and crucify him. If you can't find anything wrong, the world will make something up and they've done it. But guess what? We shouldn't be surprised by this because Jesus told us it was going to happen. Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Blessed are you. Where is this coming from? What do we call this? The Beatitudes, right? The, as Jesus preached to the, and Pastor Hunter has preached on this in the past. Blessed are you when people insult you and what? Persecute you. And that just doesn't mean attack. I believe that means persecution as in prosecution. They'll take you to court. And falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is Heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets before who were before you. Don't worry about it when the world lies about you. Because that's what it is. It's a lie. And what will set you free? Jesus will, but the truth. The truth will set you free. It's amazing. It's really hard for, this is one of the things that I, when I was a police officer, I would enjoy when I was working on a case and somebody would lie to me because I would make sure I noted that. And then we'd come again and I'd sit down with them and they'd, I'd say, now tell me how this happened. And they can't, they can't keep their lies straight. And when you, and eventually, and then I go, well, wait a second. Here, let me pay the recording of you last week. What did you say? Very interesting to watch people, but the truth will eventually come out. Well, in chapter 26, he's gonna, Paul is going to give his defense. And in verses 1 through 18, he's going to give his personal testimony. Now, we've seen this twice so far. First time he gave his personal testimony, it was before all of the Jews on the steps, remember, remember that? He was standing on the steps uh, after he had been beaten up and, and was getting ready to be hauled into the barracks in Jerusalem. And he stood on the steps. And where did he start his defense with? He started it with his personal testimony. And then we saw it before Felix. When he goes to give his defense before Felix, where does he start? with his personal testimony. I want you to understand there's power in your personal testimony. We've been working in our Go Deeper class. We've had several people who have been working on their testimony. And where do we, we start with writing it out? What, what was my life like before I got saved? And that's what Paul does. He tells him, I was a Pharisee. I was, I was one of you guys. Then, it, then you tell how you got saved. And Paul says, I was on the way to the road to Damascus. 
and a light shined down and blinded me. And it was Jesus, and he said, why do you persecute me? Why are you kicking against the goads? And, and he identifies that it is Jesus Christ who called him out to repent and then to be used of God. The power of his personal testimony. And then, of course, we tell what life has been like since we got saved how God has changed our life. And Paul does that one more time. So we're not going to look at, the, at those verses. But I want you to understand that power. Just, it, it, I, I, it's, I always enjoy when somebody comes up and says, hey, I had the opportunity to witness to somebody today, yesterday, this last week. Because people are, when we share from our heart what we've gone through, they go, wow, if you can make it through, how did you make it through? Through the power of Jesus Christ. Because folks, I can tell you, there are things that we go through in our lives that we could not make it through without Jesus. And when we have the opportunity to share that and say, Jesus makes the difference. That's how I made it through. And that's how you can make it through too. And we have that opportunity to share that personal testimony. That's what he did in verses 1 through 18. But I want to concentrate on the aftermath. Let's look at, at chapter 26, verses 19 through 32. So King Agrippa, did I not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision? But kept declaring both to those in Damascus first, in Jerusalem, and then to the region of Judea, even to the Gentiles, that they should what? That they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. So having, ordained, having obtained help from God... I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. Listen to the gospel as he speaks it. That the Christ, the Messiah, was to suffer and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead would we be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. And while Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Felix, Festus, but I utter, utter words of sober truth. For the king knows, Agrippa knows about these matters, and I speak to him with confidence since I am persuaded that none of these escape his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, boy, you talk about asking the question. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And Agrippa replied to Paul, in such a short time will you persuade me to become a Christian? 
Paul said, I wish to God that whether in a short or long time, not only you, but all who hear me this day might come to be such as I am, except for these chains. The king stood up and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them, and when they had gone aside, they began talking to one another and said, this man has done nothing worthy of death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Titus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. How do people respond to the gospel? Well, how did Festus respond? <laughs> Festus said what? Okay, we'll get, there it is. Festus said, thought Paul was crazy. You ever had anybody respond to you like, you're crazy. What are you? They're usually people like Festus who have no background. They, don't, they have no background in Christianity. Felix had no background to the Jewish people. He had no background to the, to the church at the time. And so listening to, to Paul, he's like, oh, this Jesus who died and was resurrected, and, and, and what are you, you're crazy. Josh McDowell wrote a book, More Than a Carpenter. Was Jesus a lunatic, a liar, or is he Lord? You see, Josh McDowell was an atheist that decided that that he was going to disapprove this thing about Jesus. Because when he started his premise, he thought Jesus was either a lunatic or a liar. But when he ended up, he found out he was actually Lord. One of the best ways to talk to people like this, especially in our day and age, is to ask them, have you ever read this? Have you ever read this? This is the number one selling book in the world. If you have not read it, you can't discredit it. Read the book. And they're going to start reading. And what does the Holy Spirit do when you start reading the Bible? He starts, the the word of God is sharper than what? A two-edged sword that begins to to pry open your closed, dark heart. That's what, that's what happened with Josh McDowell. He, he began to see, wow, wait a second. I go through here and I see, I see from Genesis to Revelation how Jesus Christ moved from the beginning of the, of the creation all the way to the, when this world will end That's the way you reach people like Festus is you tell them, read the word of God. And when you have questions, feel free. Let's talk about it. Whether it takes, as Paul said, a short time or a long time. But then you have Agrippa. What about Agrippa? Agrippa was not ready. Now, I'm not saying he's not ready to receive the gospel. Because when he says his statement, 
would you persuade me to be a Christian in such a short time? What does that mean? He knew about Christ. He knew about the way. He knew what had happened. Agrippa had been the king over, over Judea for a long time. He was aware of what had happened with the church. Yet he wasn't ready. What wasn't he ready to do? What did, what did Paul ask them to do? Repent. And then do what? Do the works according to repentance. What was he doing? He was sleeping with his sister. And Paul called him out in front of everybody. All of those people in there probably knew what was happening. It wasn't a secret. And Paul called him out. Because you see, when we get saved, we ought to change. Because when God begins to work in our hearts, when this word begins to work in our hearts, we begin to change. We repent. We repent means what? Not just stop doing what you're doing, but go the other way. Start doing what you haven't been doing. Grip, Agrippa wasn't ready. And according to all accounts, he never did get ready. He never stopped his evil lifestyle. But don't ever give up on somebody like Agrippa. Don't ever, because why? Because God does the impossible. In Luke chapter 18, a young, rich young ruler came to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, you're a good teacher. Jesus says, there's none good but God. He says, what should I do uh, to, to follow you? And Jesus lists off several of the commandments. Don't murder, don't lie, don't cheat. And he says, I've done all of those from my youth. And Jesus says, oh, by the way, go and sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. You see, he had one little hang-up. He was a rich, young ruler. And it says he went away sad because he couldn't do it. But at the end of that, this is what Jesus said. They who heard it said, then who can be saved? But Jesus said, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up praying. Some of you have been praying for your prodigals. For years, for years. Some have been praying for people to get saved for years. Don't give up. I've told this story before, but I, but I think it's just very apropos here for me to tell the story about Grandpa Scott. I never had a grandpa growing up. Both of mine had died before I was born. So we had a man who lived across the street Grandpa Scott owned the little store. 
he, he was a great guy to get to know. Because every once in a while, well, mostly it was Grandma Scott penny candy when you went to the store to pick up milk for mom or dad. But, but Grandpa Scott, he was kind of cantankerous. You'd go over, he'd, he'd give you 25 cents to spend the day picking up rocks out of his garden. He was very particular, and he was a very big man, and uh, he would sit in his chair out in the garden with his cane, and he'd point, oh, you missed one, you missed one. I remember one year we were re-roofing our house, and he was sitting over in his front yard, and he yells, he was about a block from us, he'd yell, Barbara, that's my mom, Barbara, that line is crooked. <laughs> well, when, when Grandma Scott died, Grandpa Scott had diabetes real bad, and he was so big he couldn't bend over and tie his shoes. And so for four years, all through my high school, I went over every morning, and I would put on his socks and shoes. And, if I, and, and, I, and I made a grand total of two bucks a week. Well, back then, that would, buy, that would buy half a tank of gas. But anyway, for four years, I went over there. And I remember the first time I was, I was going to preach at church. I was 15 years old. And I said, Grandpa Scott, would you come and hear me preach at church? Oh, if I went to church, it'd burn down. Or if I went to church, the pastor would quit, you know. And, he would, and I, I would share with him, and every time I had the opportunity to preach, I'd say, Grandpa Scott, would you come hear me preach? And finally, when I went, when I got turned 18, and I, I got ready to go off to college, and, and he had to find somebody else to tie his shoes, I said, Grandpa Scott, I've got to tell you before I go, I'm going off to college, I'm going off to Bible school. I want to tell you, how you can know for sure you're going to go to heaven. And I shared with him the plan of salvation. And he looked at me and he said, well, he called me Benny. That's my given name. Benny, I'm too mean for God. I'm, I'm just a cantankerous old man and I always will be. And there's nothing that's ever going to change that, not even God. Well, I was off in college back in, in Virginia, and I got a letter. Back then, we didn't, nobody had cell phones. You only got to call, remember nights and weekends, right? You only got to call Sunday night because that's the cheapest time, right? And I got a letter from my mom. I remember it was a Wednesday. We didn't get to call home until Sunday. And, and I got a letter saying Grandpa Scott was in the hospital and wasn't expected to live. And I was brokenhearted. I just sat down. I remember, I remember distinctly there was a big pile of gravel. They were getting ready to do some work, and there was a big pile of gravel. And I sat down in that gravel pile and just wept. I was brokenhearted. Went through that day, and I had to wait till 8 o'clock our time to get the, the night rate. And I called home, and my mom shared with me. She said, yeah. She said, let me, let me tell you what happened. Because remember, it came by letter. It had taken a week to get there. She said, yeah, Grandpa Scott passed, but I got to tell you what happened. He was in the hospital, and they had a chaplain there that was as old and grumpy as he was. <laughs> and he said he sat down with Grandpa Scott, and his name was Ernest. 
Ernest Scott. He sat down and said, Ernest, if God can save me, he can save you. And Grandpa Scott accepted Jesus Christ that day in the hospital. He lived for five more days. Now, he was not known for his gentle speech. And when mom came in the last time she got to see him, she said it was his demeanor had changed. Not one curse word came out of his mouth. And he looked at mom and he says, you tell Benny I never got to hear him preach here on this earth, but I'm going to be watching from heaven. The things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Don't ever give up sharing your testimony. Even when those who don't, I don't want to hear it. I'm too mean for God. I'm too ugly for God. I'm not enough because God can save them. Because he's the one that does it. You're not. I wasn't. It was God who softened his heart. Who God who brought the right person. See, see, Grandpa Scott couldn't listen to a 16, 17, 18-year-old boy tell him that he needed to get saved, but somebody who was just as ornery and cranky as he was could. Nothing is impossible with God.